Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Uh, we're in our study on Ecclesiastes, a book that I'm sure a lot of people have heard of, but it's not a book that we study a lot. It's not a book that we preach a lot in the church, but it's so, 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 so interesting and that it's life-giving. And we're seeing that the author who we believe is Solomon. Solomon is more, was smarter than you and I will ever be. He's more powerful than you and I will ever be. He's got more stuff, more junk, more. This guy has more riches than we will ever have. And he's a guy who, who, who walked with God and had wisdom. And then, we believe, got off the rails and his life went off the rails. And then all of a sudden, he got to the end of his life and now he's turning around and he's going hey folks I'm smarter than any of you I've got more power than any of you I've got more riches than any of you I've been there done that got the t-shirt listen don't do this it's a retrospective warning he's telling us in week one we just saw he was asking this like overall in the book he asked this question does God really matter he's not an atheist he's more of an agnostic agnostics believe God created the world gave it a spin walked away and said knock yourselves out right? That's, that's more of him. He, he knows there's a God. And throughout the book, he continues to ask this question, to answer this question, does God matter? In week one, we specifically saw him say, what is it that makes life meaningful? What is it that really gives life meaning, right? We found out that under the sun, remember we talked in this, there is no meaning to life on the horizontal, that it's only in the vertical with God. That's the only thing that gives life meaning. And then last week, he was asking this question, well, what about stuff? What about stuff? You would have heard Pastor Amos. If you didn't catch that message, you need to go online. Like that was a message just given by the Holy Spirit. And we found this out, that you will never have enough stuff. There's never, when it comes to stuff, there's never enough. That's not going to find you fulfillment. That's not where it's at. Now this week, we're going to see in chapter 3, where he's going to kind of deal with this just a little bit. Is there more than just this life? Is this life it? Is there more? And if indeed there's more, then we got to deal with this. Then what? Then what? If so, if there is more than this life, then what? And we're going to hear him talking about that. So I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And again, when you, when you, you know, you, you kind of look at your Bible, where's Ecclesiastes? It's a little tough to find. If you just put your Bible down, go to the middle. Oftentimes you'll open it up. It's the book of Psalms. There's about 150 Psalms. And then you go Job, Psalms. Proverbs, there's about 31, and then it's the book of Ecclesiastes, just 12 chapters. Book of Ecclesiastes, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we read this. Uh, if, just a reminder, for you, for you folks who are new, uh, we always stand when we read our primary text, and the reason we do that, not right or wrong, if you're at a church that doesn't, they're, they're never wrong, we just do it because it reminds us this is actually God speaking now. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3, I'm going to start in verse 1, I'm going to read 14 verses, it says this, for everything, there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest. There's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. There's a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. Verse 5, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. There's a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search, and a time to quit searching, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. Verse 7, a time to tear down, and a time to mend, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak. There's a time, verse 8, to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Verse 9, what do people really get for all their hard work? 
I've seen the burden that God's placed on us all. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people can't see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Verse 12. So I concluded, there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. Verse 14, and I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. Let's pray. So, Father, we're, we're thrilled. We're just thrilled for the privilege, the great privilege it is that we can actually gather experience no persecution and offer worship up to you. We're grateful for that. And now, God, it's a privilege that we can hear from you. And I'm praying, God, that your Holy Spirit will speak through your Holy Word and will teach us, will instruct us. Do it in a way, God, that just continually draws us to the Savior in a way that brings honor and glory to your great name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, if you're my age or older, and you don't have to admit it, but if you're my age or older, you read this text, you hear these words, and you can't help. There's a song playing in your head right now. Listen, listen to the song. This song is about, you're, 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 you're going to hear this. Listen to these lyrics. Yeah, hear this? Hear the lyrics? You're going to hear the lyrics. Come on, yep. Here you go. Listen. Now get ready, now watch, listen to him. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, does that song not just play in your head if you're my age and older? Now, I, I just wanna, I'm just going to go off on a tangent for a minute. So I know that when I speak, you write down everything and you remember every word. So just break. You don't have to write this stuff down. It's really hard sometimes. Like stuff comes up and you want to preach this. And then there's stuff that comes up and you're like, I just... I've just been ruminating. I've just been thinking about this, and I just want to discuss this with the church. So let me just give you one second of hope. Uh, something that I read that, that I think is really encouraging, and because when you study and you dig up other things, that song was a song by the Birds, 1965, Billboard's top, uh, that was their top hit three weeks in a row, three weeks in a row. And here's what's really interesting about that to me. It was written in the 50s. It was written in the 50s, became a number one hit in 1965. Now, you, you got to take into context what was going on in that period of time. In that period of time, when you got into the 60s, the culture was very much free love, free sex, free drugs. Some of you remember that. That's what it was, oh, free love, free sex, free drugs, it's all good. And the culture was anti-authoritarian. They were anti-government. They were anti-establishment. They were anti-war. Do you remember that? And here's the thing. That culture was very spiritual, but they were anti-God. I'm going to say it again. They were very spiritual, but they were anti-God. In 1969 at Woodstock, upstate New York, Woodstock began in 1968. It started with an invocation by a Hindu guru. 
It tells you how spiritual the country was, but they were anti-God, right? This scripture talks about every season, every season. There's a season, there's a season, there's a season. This is what I'm believing for right now. This is what I'm believing for. We live in a culture today where the the younger generation now is kind of anti-establishment, anti-government, anti-authoritarian. They're actually not anti-God. This is what's really interesting to me. They're anti-church. Now listen, listen to this. They're anti-church. They're not actually anti-God. They actually have questions and they want to engage with God, but they're, they're tired of the church. What, what happened during this season, this is, this is what I have memories of. And those of you who are my age and maybe a little old, you'll remember this. That what spawned out of that in the 60s was about 1969 and moving forward, what was known as a very powerful movement known as the Jesus movement. They were the Jesus people. And what they found out was this, what Solomon would tell us. The free love, the free sex, the free drugs, it ain't there. It ain't doing it for us. They realized that. They came to their sense of like, we've tried all that. We've tried all that. We've tried all that. It ain't doing squat for us. And that generation began to turn to Jesus. I was fortunate that as a kid, my my father had never been to church until he married my mother. My mother was a churchgoer, and so she said, so we go to church, we go to church. And we went to this little church, good enough church, right? And then all of a sudden we had moved, and in about the first and second grade, we just quit going to church. We just quit going to church. And because my folks moved, the realtor and his wife invited my folks and their family to church. And we started going to this church of theirs. And this church was blowing up. And the reason this church was blowing up was because all the Jesus people were coming in. Some of you will remember this. They came into our church on Sunday morning, buckle up for this, wearing blue jeans. Are you kidding me? They wore blue jeans. And in the summer, some of them didn't wear shoes. And the place blew up. And we built a sanctuary that seats 5,000. And they were on TV all across the state. Why? Because they recognized that the free sex, free love, free drugs, what the culture had been telling them was, was where it's at, wasn't where it's at. And they found Jesus and they went, this stuff's real. I'm praying that today that we have a generation that's saying we're anti-establishment, anti-government, we're anti-church, not anti-God, that they'll find Jesus And we'll see that kind of revival again today. Now, here's what I want to just give you as a footnote. And I've said this before. I continue to hear people say, oh, God, bring revival, bring revival, bring revival. What I would say is stop asking for revival and start praying that the church, get ready, that the church would repent. Because you don't have revival until there's repentance. And first and foremost, it's God's own people who have to repent. Right? I think that's what has to happen. The church as a corporate body, yes. FYI, we are not a political movement, everybody. And we need to recognize that. We need to repent of that. We need to repent where we misrepresent God. And then personally, in my own life, I need to repent. When I speak ill to my wife, when I, when I am reckless with my finances, whatever it is, I'm praying that we would see this again, that there would be another season for this where we would see God's, you know, God's people repent and then people come to Christ. That's my rant. That's my rant. Okay, look at your text. Look at your text. I think this is fun. Look at the text. First one, it says this, for everything, there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Now listen, he says, he's starting to give us this idea. In this chapter, he starts to give this idea. For everything, there is a season, everything. And he's starting to give us this idea that everything has a beginning and an end. 
that it has a time and then it's no longer time for that. And he started, he started out just a little bit general, like everything, everything, that's what he says. And then in the next verse, look at the next verse in your Bible, verse 2, he gets very specific and it's a little touchy, but he says, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Translation, hey, your life has a season, which means this, your life, my life has a beginning and your life and my life has an end. That is the reality because there's a time we were all born. You know the date that you were born. You want everybody to know it. You want everybody to send you a card. You're hoping there's some cash in it. That's your date of birth, right? And then there's a time to die. Our lives will end. For some of you, you you've experienced that recently where you've lost someone. You're like, that's right. Life comes to an end. I will also tell you this, that the older you get, the more real it becomes. Because when I was 16, when I was 25, even when I, up until I was 30, I'm like, Psst, I'll probably live forever. I'm crushing it right now, right? And then you start to get older, and you're like, oh, snap, we're not going to be around forever. Like, that's becoming really, it's becoming real in our lives. We're not going to be around forever, right? Your life is a season. And so the first thing that I want to point out that Solomon is telling you and I right now, the thing that we should be, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm trying to remind you of it is this. Life is temporal. This life is temporal. Moses said it in the Psalms 90, Psalm 91. He goes, you get 70 years, maybe 80 if you're lucky. Maybe 80 if you're lucky. This life is temporal. This, this life, it's just, right? Look what the psalmist said. This is Psalm 139. He says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out, a beginning and an end, before a single day had passed. Like, it's already laid out. We're not guaranteed anything. We're not guaranteed. I just heard somebody came and told me this morning about a young gal. They used to go to church here. Uh, they've, they've moved. She was pregnant, and they found out that the baby was no longer alive. That life ended. They were going to induce labor. And as they did that, something went wrong, and she passed away. She's not even 30 years old. We don't know. I told you about Pastor Anthony at, at River Valley, 50 years old. They found him dead in his house. He had a heart attack. We don't know. We don't know. Kimmy would tell you that. Uh, at the age of 48, her dad just dropped. Done. End of life. At 48. I'm just saying, this life is temporal. Now watch what he said. Look back at verse 1. He said this. Everything, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Now remember last week we talked about under the sun, down here, apart from God, just on the horizontal plane. He uses that phrase 58 times in this book. Right. Now he's saying that every activity under heaven, it has a season for every activity under God, under God's control. And so one of the things that I just want us to think about this morning, just briefly, is yes, life is temporal, right? And you need to know this, God controls time. God controls time. You and I count time, you and I mark time, you and I do not control time. That is under the hands of God. He is in complete control. And so knowing that God controls time, and I think, this, I'm learning this, right? This control thing is, is such an illusion. It's such an illusion that you and I think we have control over certain things. About the only thing that you can really control is maybe what comes out of your mouth and maybe your attitude. I've, I've talked to a clinical psychologist who told me he doesn't even think that our emotions are completely under our control because of the way that we've been wired, nature plus nurture, but we can't control our attitudes. Control is an illusion. God controls time. So I just want you to think about two things under this idea that God controls time. Number one, I want us to be able to trust God's timing. 
You need to know that you can absolutely trust God's timing. Because I think we're in different seasons of life. And we're like, no, God, if that doesn't hurry up and happen, it's, it's all going to be over. No, no, God, that, that needs to wait. If it doesn't wait a little longer, it's all going to be over. God, trust God's timing. I think sometimes we get in that when we're, when we're younger. We think, God, I have to be married by this age, and I have to start having kids by this age. This is my plan, God. And God's like, make your plans. Make your plans. Knock yourself out. Right? Trust God's timing. Trust God's timing. I think of uh, David. Uh, a lot of you might, some of you might know this, you know, that, that David, the greatest king of Israel, ask, ask any Jew who was the greatest king in Israel's history, and they'll all tell you, King David. David was anointed as the king, but he wasn't made the king. It's kind of a weird thought. He was anointed as a king, but God didn't make him the king right then. Who was the king? King Saul, Israel's first king. Then comes King David. God was displeased with Saul. And so he anointed, he had David anointed as king. But now think of that. After he was anointed and he hadn't been made the king yet, he was tracked down by Saul. He was chased by Saul. He was threatened by Saul. Saul made several attempts on his life. It was 15 years before he was made the king. That David, who's having his life threatened, he's being tracked down, chased down. And David said, you know, David had comment about that. Now, now remember this. Remember this, what we read in Ecclesiastes. God has made everything beautiful for its own time, for right now. When God determines, when God decides it should happen, right? Now watch what David says. David just blatantly says this. My future is in your hands. He said in the song, God, God, my future is in your hands. Translation, God, I trust your timing. And I would say wherever you're at today, Whatever's going on in your life right now, you just need to know this. You can trust God's timing. And I know that's hard sometimes because we're just humans. We have very finite minds. You need to know right now, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know who this is speaking to. I don't know what you're waiting on. I don't know what you wish would hurry up, what you wish you would slow down. Listen to me. You just trust God's timing. You need to know that. This life is temporal. God's the one who's controlling time, and you can trust his timing. But the other thing I would say is this. Not only can you trust his timing, but I want to encourage you, enjoy this season right now. Enjoy this. We're so often looking to the future or so often looking back that we miss the season we're in. We don't live in the present. And I would say this. It's really easy to look back, and we oftentimes say, oh, oh, those were the good old days. And we way over-romanticize the good old days the good old days weren't always that great. We just like to say that. Stop living in the past. Stop living in the past. Don't get so busy with the future. I can't wait. Remember how, remember how when you're young, life can never get there fast enough. I can't wait for Christmas. I can't wait till I'm out of elementary school. Right? I can't wait till I graduate from high school. I can't wait till I get my driver's license. I can't wait till I get married. I can't wait to, right? Live in the present. Live in the present. Live right now. Now, let's, let's just talk real for just a minute. Like we always say carpe diem. Seize the moment. Seize the moment. Okay, here's real. Some of you right now live in crappe diem. For real, right? That, that's where some of you are living right now. And you say, how am I supposed to enjoy this season? 
How how am I I supposed to enjoy this? You have no idea what it's going to be like when I go home today. You have no clue about the tension in my house and the tension that's been going on in my marriage. You have no clue about the tension that exists right now between me and my parents. You don't even know what it's like with my kids right now. You have no clue what it's like when I go to school tomorrow. You have no clue. Enjoy this season. You You don't know what it's like in my life right now. You don't know how difficult it is. You don't know how hard it is when I go to work and the people that I work around and how hostile the environment You don't know how antagonistic it is, and you're telling me to enjoy this season. How is that even possible? And I like one, one, I I love the, the the authenticity of the scriptures. Like you read the psalmist, and they're like, how long, oh God, will I suffer, right? And even in the New Testament, you read about the Apostle Paul. Paul writes about it quite a bit. He says, look, I've been shipwrecked three times. P.S. After he wrote that, we think he was shipwrecked another time, right? He says, I've been whipped I've been beaten. I've been given the 39 lashes. If they, they, they felt that if we gave you 40 lashes, we'd kill you. So they go right up to it, 39. He says, I've had that a couple times. He says, I've been stoned. Paul was stoned to the extent that they left because they all thought he was dead. And he's talking about the difficulties of his life, the difficulties of life, how hard those seasons were for him. And yet Paul says this in the book of Philippians, which again, Pastor Amos shared with you, he wrote from prison, a dirty, nasty, smelly prison. And he says, I've learned how to be content with whatever it is that I have. And let me point out two things there. Number one, he learned. Because I will tell you this, that's not natural. Like you're like, hey, everything's difficult right now. I just love, like, that's not how we are, not naturally. It's a learned behavior because he trusts God and he trusts God's timing. And furthermore, he says, I've been content in whatever. Some of you are living in whatever right now. You're in it. You live in whatever right now. And Paul says, I've learned how to be content. Now, here's what's really fun. He goes on to the very next verse in this passage in Philippians. And he says, I've learned to be content in whatever. He says, I've learned to be content when I'm really hungry. And I've learned to be content when I have plenty of food. I've learned when I have much, when I have little. I've learned to be content. And then Paul's going to state the verse that I believe is the most misquoted verse in all of Scripture. Because it's taken in the wrong context. After saying all this about how I've had much and I've had little. And I've learned to be content, even in really difficult times. Then in verse 13, he says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You say, Neil, you don't know what season I'm in. Like, you're right, I don't. I've had a few seasons in my life. Not saying I loved it, not saying it was pleasant, but I'm saying Christ gives us the strength so that even in that situation, right, I, I can do everything through Christ. This is the way we use this verse in, in our culture today. It's like, hey, I play sports and I'm going to play in the NBA someday, so I'm going to tattoo that on my arm. I can do anything through Christ. See, I can make the NBA. Like, I don't think that's what Paul was talking about. Paul was saying, man, when things are really tough in your life, even that you can do. Even you can be content even in that situation, right? Here's the question I'm going to encourage you, because for those of you who are in that season right now, and I I know I'm talking to some folks in the room, you're in a season. I just know that's, that's truth. You're in that season. I would encourage you to ask this question. What does God have for me in this season? What is God trying to teach me? In this season, have you ever just stopped and been quiet and listened to God and said, God, what exactly are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to teach me? What do you, what do you, what? maybe God just says, man, I wish you'd just cry out to me once in a while. Maybe it's just that simple. I don't know. I mean, I, I just have no clue what you're in. But I would ask this question, what does God have for me in this season? Right now, what does God have for me?
right? And so we've talked about the fact that life is temporal. And when we say that life is temporal, we imply that death then is inevitable. By saying that life is temporal, it implies that death is in, in, inevitable. And, and I will say this, there's the death piece and there's the dying piece, right? Death doesn't really scare me so much. It really doesn't. I, I'm not concerned about death at all. And I'll tell you why in a second. It's the dying thing that makes us uncomfortable. It's the process. Like, you know how you're always sitting around and then you have that vision in your head where you get out of your car and you shut the door and your coat gets stuck in the thing and then the car takes off and you're on a gravel road and it's dragging you over gravel and then you go over, you know. You don't, you don't have that? Me either. Okay. But it's the process. It's the process that, like, am I going to be sick and lay in bed for a year and a half? Am I, is it going to be? Like, that thing. But listen to me. Death followers of Christ, and I I hate to differentiate, so let me just say this tenderly. If you're a follower of Christ, you don't need to have any fear of death itself. There's a certain assurance that we have. There's a confidence that we have. There's a knowledge that we have. Now, again, the Apostle Paul, watch how Paul says it. Yeah, to be honest, we are fully confident. We are fully confident. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies. Now, this is what's interesting to me. Do you notice that Paul doesn't say, yeah, we're not afraid of death. He doesn't even call it death. He just says that we're away from these earthly bodies. Because the scripture says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul's like, there's not a, this, is just a, this is just a transition, folks. There's not an actual, like for followers of Christ, there's not even a death here. Your just spirit just goes from here to living with the Father. And he says, we're fully confident. We would rather be away from these bodies, for when, then we will be at home with the Lord. There's not even a death in there. It's like, zoop, zoop. Right? And I think that's the exact sound it's going to make someday. That's what I think in my head. Right? Furthermore, then Paul goes on and he says, man, oh, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? He's just not even concerned about it. Because for followers of Christ, we have the blessed hope of assurance. Right? We know that we'll be with Christ. This life is temporal. It's a season. There's a beginning and there's an end. But let me, let me point out something else that Solomon, and, and this to me was really fun. It was really interesting. It just stirred my brain to think a little bit about this. Number one, yes, life is temporal. But number two, eternity is undeniable. Now watch how he says it here. Look at verse 11. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. We already read that. And then he says this. He has planted, this is interesting stuff. He has planted eternity in the human heart. God has planted eternity in the human heart. All humans think of this. This is not a Christian only thing, right? Look, if you're a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, you're out doing works, doing works, doing I've always said this, man. If there's anybody who deserves to be in heaven, it's a good Mormon. Because they just go works, 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 because they think they can earn heaven. You can't earn it. We already know that. Right? If you're a Buddhist or you're a, a Hindu, you, you, you believe in this eternal life, that there's this reincarnation. You'll continue to come back in a higher state or lower state based on how you did. If you're a Muslim, you think it's going to be through good works and jihad. I'm just saying everybody has this idea that there's something more than this. And the Bible tells us the reason everybody thinks is that is because God put it in their hearts. In the hearts of man, he put this idea of eternity. Right. Eternity is undeniable. We all have a sense of it. There is something after this. Now, what is there after this? 
That, that, that's a question. Now watch what the Apostle Paul says when he's talking to the church in Rome. He says the wages of, in other words, the cost of your sin, my sin, the cost of the fact that we are sinners is death. And you say, well, Neil, of course, we're all going to die. But in this sense, that word death doesn't mean physical death. This word death is the Greek word thanatos, which means this. It is spiritual separation from God forever. Now just think on that for a minute. Because you say sometimes, well, there's sometimes here where it doesn't really feel like God is so, oh, no, no, no. We're talking about apples and oranges now. God is still here. God is still present. The definition of hell is that it is eternal separation from God. I mean, there's not a hint of it. There's not a whiff of it. There's no, there's no, no comprehension of God. Eternal separation from God. See, that's the wages of sin. That's what we've earned because of our sin. However, Paul goes on to say, but the free gift of God, it's a free gift, is eternal life. How is it a free gift? Through Christ Jesus our Lord. That once you commit your life to Christ, you surrender your life to Christ, you ask Jesus into your life, eternal life. And P.S., eternal life starts right now. So for those of you followers of Jesus who are waiting for eternal life, you don't need to wait. It's right now. We're living in the eternal life right now. There's just simply a transition into absent from the body, present with the Lord. Right? This, this eternity is undeniable. See, this life is temporal. Eternity is undeniable. There is an eternity. It's a matter of separation for God from God or in the presence of God. In John chapter 11 it's one of my favorite stories in the, in the Bible. Jesus is up in the Galilee and he's with his disciples and he gets this uh, word that, hey, your buddy Lazarus, who lives down in Bethany, down just real close to Jerusalem, your buddy Lazarus is sick. And Jesus is just very casual about it. And he's like, yeah, we'll hang out here a little longer. So he waits, he waits. He, now they travel and they get down to Jerusalem, down to Bethany. Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha runs out to Jesus right away and she's like, Jesus! Why didn't you come earlier? You can do miracles. You could have saved my brother Lazarus. And Jesus says, relax, sister. He's going to rise again. And she's like, well, we're all going to rise on the last day. And he's like, oh, that's not exactly what I was talking about. He says, listen, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. Anybody who believes in me will live even after dying, even after their physical death. And then he goes on to say this. Everyone who lives in me, and believes in me, it's both, it's a belief, but it's a life of that, will never die. That's eternal life right now, absent from the body, present with the Lord. See, I, I just think it's, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Solomon's just reminding, this life is temporal, everybody. We, we kind of know that, Right? And eternity is undeniable. It's, it's just in our hearts. We're wired that way by the creator. And so Solomon's talking about this, talking about this. And then Solomon gets to this in chapter 14, or verse 14 of that same chapter. He says, I know that whatever God does is final, right? Seasons. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God controls time. But he says this, God's purpose, retrospectively, he's turning around and telling us this. God's purpose is that people should fear God. Now, we talked about this a little bit two weeks ago. Remember, fear, we, we can get hung up on this. There's a servile fear, which is the fear of a servant, which says, if I don't do this, I'm going to get beat. I better do this. I just don't want to get beaten. But there's a filial fear. 
A filial fear is familial fear of a healthy, I'm talking about a healthy family that says this, first and foremost, we recognize who our father is. Our God is holy, our God is righteous, our God is just, our God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, right? Our God is gracious and merciful and loving and faithful. It's first of all recognizing who our Father is, and then it's also saying, and I just want to please him. I just want him to be well pleased. Like, wouldn't, like, I just think about this. You want to get to heaven someday, and God's going to look at you and go, Shiloh, sister, you are crushing it down there. Like, wouldn't you just love to hear that? Neil, you were awesome down there living for me. Like, don't we want to hear that? That's, that's fearing God, where we recognize who he is, put him in the proper position, and then our, live our lives in a way that please him. So when I go to work, the things that I say and the things that I do are pleasing to God. When I go to school, the things that I say and the things that I do are pleasing to God. In my marriage, in my other relationships, with my kids, with my money, with my time, putting God in the proper place, and then just living my life in a way that's pleasing to him. Right? That's what all this is about. That, that's what Solomon is now turning around after he just messed up for so long. And now he's telling us, listen to me, you guys, listen. That's what he's saying. Just fear God. Fear God. Live a life of obedience that pleases God. So, if, you know, if you're around here for a while, you know this. We always have a big so what. Our big so what is really simple. Life is temporal. Eternity is undeniable. Think about that. This life will not last forever. Doesn't matter your age. We don't know. This life is temporal. Eternity is undeniable. You and I both know it. We both know it. And I love this writing from Paul because I like to think about this and let this cast a little vision for you. Think about this. Paul says to the church in Corinth, no eye has seen, no ear has ever heard, no mind has ever imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Can you even imagine someday we're going to stand in glory? You can't imagine. You, you can't. No one has ever been able to comprehend it, imagine it, think it, see it, hear it. That's what God has for those who love him. And so here's my challenge today. Here's the big now what. What are you doing today that's actually going to matter for tomorrow? See, if we know this, if we know this life is temporal and eternity is just flat out undeniable. Okay, what are we doing because this isn't going to last very long. This won't matter two cents. We're going to spend eternity there. What are we doing to invest in that? What are we doing that's going to matter for that? See, that, that's the all-important question. And I just want to challenge you to think about that. What am I doing in my relationships, with my time, with my money? What am I doing? Because this life is temporal. That, that's undeniable, and it's eternal. It's eternal. 